Welcome to a Kartini Day special episode of Dialogika. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sweden. And the special episode is one week ahead of our regular every two weeks publishing schedule, but we thought it's important to dig deeper into Kartini herself, what she said, what she thought, and her views on feminism in Indonesia. And we're also going to introduce the amazing Eskatri Murti and talking about her legacy as an important Indonesian female hero as well of a later generation and also letting her own words tell her story. And taking this time and day and episode to really think about and talk about the struggles of women throughout time and history. And reclaim Kartini Day for what it really should be. So, here's to it. I'm going to just jump right in and talk about Kartini's life in terms of dates and the things that happened to her. She was born on April 21st, 1879, the daughter of Raden Mas Adipati Aryo Sosoningrat, who is the Bupati of Jupara. Her father um, was actually one of the 80 native regions who held office in the Dutch colonial apparatus, and he exercised effective power in the area of Jupara, controlling the lives of the people who lived there. So she was born into a noble and privileged yes. family. So that's why, I mean, her book is known as Letters to a Javanese Princess, right? Because, because she, was. she was a Javanese <laughs> princess. Um, anyway, her dad was actually also quite progressive for the time. And Katini became one of the first Javanese women to be educated by the Dutch system. So she um, was registered in the Dutch school where she was educated alongside other Dutch children and learned how to read Dutch and how to write Dutch at that time there. But by the time she was 12 or when she got her first period, menses, she was held back and sent back to the family. Wait, her, her father actually pulled her out of school, right? Yeah, her to... father pulled her out of school because there's a long-standing tradition where noble girls had to be confined in the household compound until they get married. It's like this preparation period where now that you're turning into a woman, yeah, we're preparing you for the next stage in life for you, which is clearly only marriage. Marriage. Um, until she was 16, it was very, very restricted, right? Just because this confinement was absolute, so she couldn't go to the market and be like, hey, I'm going to buy this and this. So and so, yeah. And yeah, it's, so, a, it's a long-standing cultural tradition mm-hmm. as well. So it's even, you're not just fighting your own family's wishes, you're fighting against an entire yes. tradition. Yeah, so everyone else who was in the relatively same privilege as her had to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so her dad actually relaxed a little bit by the time she was 16 and she was allowed occasional trips outside to special areas. And this was her life until in 1900s she met Rosa Abedanon Mandri, who was the Spanish wife of G.H. Abedanon, the Minister of Cultural, Religious and Industry the Dutch East Indies and this is when she started her long pen pal correspondence with her and as well as Stella Sihandelar which is how we know Katini today is from her letters that she wrote to these two western women and this led to Stella obtaining for her permission to come to Holland and to study in Holland but ultimately her beloved father's health turned for the worse in 1903 so she decided to comply with his wishes and the wishes of the family to get married Abedanon also tried to, you know, she also gave her a choice to come to Batavia to study, but ultimately Katini chose to be the dutiful daughter and got married to Raden Adipati Joyo Adiningrat, a man with three living wives and six other children, but who had recently lost his chief wife. 
so she decided to get married in November of that year, and the following year she died due to complications in childbirth and when she was just 25. Yes, dying and fulfilling the due stereotypical to... wishes of the patriarchy. Oh, how symbolic that she would die in childbirth. Yeah. But yeah, that is the short and wondrous life of Kartini. With a shout out for Julia. Yes, I right? know. As she, she's getting married, she's entering that system, right? The yeah. polygamous system within the nobility. Yeah, and actually her letters became less frequent as well to Rosa and to Stella. And she would, you know, say, I'm sorry, I can't write to you as often as I used to because she was really busy um, being the head of an important household. Because Being the chief wife. So what is meant by the chief wife in the Spriai system, you had the chief wife who had dominion over the other wives, but the chief wife is the one with the highest noble lineage, so you know the highest ranking person. And then she can control the education and rights of the other wives and the other children. So like Kartini's mother was not the chief wife. She was a lesser wife, quote-quote lesser wife. And she also had another mom who she referred to as mom who was the chief wife. So there's this like hierarchical uh, system even just yeah. amongst the wives. Yeah, so I think a lot of Kartini's own writings also talked about how uh, women are used to oppress other women, and she was very cognizant and aware of that as well. So I just want to go into reading a few things that Kartini wrote by herself. So I actually found it really difficult to find the letters that she wrote in the bookstore. I went to Gramedia, I went to Tokugunung Agung, and mostly they ran out of print. Yeah, I tried too. It's not there. <laughs> Which is kind of telling that yeah. the, old, the most known Indonesian feminist, we don't actually hear from her himself. So we yeah. thought it was an obligation on our part to show you guys what she actually wrote and thought like directly from her. Maybe those books will magically reappear on Kartini Day. And no, yeah, so <laughs> basically they were saying that um, it will be republished on no, April. But ideally we don't, we shouldn't need a public holiday to read about somebody. Yeah. Anyway, so um, this is one of her few letters to Stella's handler and she said talking about how she wanted to have a, more of an education and how she didn't really like the fate of Javanese women. She said, I would still go further, always further. I did not desire to go out to feast and little frivolous amusements. That has never been the cause of my longing for freedom. I long to be free, to be able to stand alone, to study, not to be subject to anyone, and above all, never, never to be obligated to marry. On other letters, well, she was a little more pessimistic and just knew what was going to happen to her which is she would have to get married and she said in her own words nothing can be done about it one fine day it will happen must happen that i will follow along behind an unknown husband love is a fairy tale in our javanese world how can husband and wife love each other if they only see each other for the first time when they are already well and truly bound in marriage i will never ever ever be able to love and marry so there's this idea that she is caught in this tension between her tradition and her life has she doesn't have a lot of choices because exactly because of her privilege you know and this idea that she doesn't like what she has to deal with and somehow she'll have to do it anyway and i think that's what's really powerful about kartini's story actually if we can you know take back and reclaim kartini day mm -hmm. this idea that like kartini a lot of women today 
have a lot of these barriers in a very different way. You know, I think some of our biggest barriers is actually the love and the family that we have and the cultural traditions. It's not that we're not allowed to vote anymore. We don't have property law or any of that. But this idea that social constructs and social conditioning has made our lives more difficult to do what we want to do with our lives. And often these kind of pressures are not coming from a place of malice. It's just the compounding of concern and love. Concern and love that's been created within the atmosphere of stereotypical patriarchal systems. Yeah. Right. Like what makes Kartini's life difficult is because she had a very, very good relationship actually with her dad and she loves her dad very much and her dad loves her very much. I had a conversation with my dad before and uh, we were talking with some of his friends and her, his friend told him that, you know, he doesn't want his daughter to go very far. He doesn't want his daughter to be educated abroad. Or And then my dad said, okay. And then his friend went home. My dad was was really quiet. And I was like, what's up? And he was sort of saying, I wonder how many women and how many daughters have been held back just because their dad loves them so much. I wonder if, you know, one of the biggest causes that doesn't allow women to do well and succeed is because the love of the father or the love of the family and the love of the daughter has for the family in order to preserve that bond i think a lot of women including myself even i have felt you know this idea that i need to compromise on what i want in order to keep my family closer together and just not to rebel too much in order to keep a happy dynamic within my family and I think a lot of women today have felt that. So that's, I think, one of the primary uses Katini Day can be for, you know, like to talk about these issues with our family and say, you know, can is it possible that we can undo our social contract a little bit more every year, you know? Or at least recognize it because the same kind of familial pressures that Kartini faces, people well, today, women today still face. switch gear a little bit. I want to talk about Eskatri Murti, an amazing, incredible Indonesian female hero who I personally didn't know about until we started working on this episode. Um, she was born on May 11th, 1912 in Solo. She was born into a privileged noble family and was able to attend the Dutch school. Much like Kartini, her dad was a Priyayi actually. Mm-hmm. I think slightly less influential but also nonetheless important figure. She finished her schooling and enrolled into a teacher's college, which was something that both she and her father wanted. She felt that teaching was going to be the way she contributed to the world. But not long after... She had other plans. Yes. She was exposed to the rising nationalist movement represented by... Sukarno. By Sukarno, the founding father. Young and charismatic Sukarno. With his uh, blustery speeches and fiery oration. I think Trimurti was really taken by that and became really inspired to pursue politics, to pursue nationalist sentiments. And in fact, she started to get involved in the movement, writing anti-colonialist leaflets and distributing them and starting nationalist magazines that was against the Dutch colonial rule. And obviously, this was against her father's wishes and her family objected to a lot of her writing. And there was definitely a lot of familial tension because of her actions. 
So she participated a lot in the nationalist movement, and in fact, she was even imprisoned for nine months in the Bulu prison in Samarang for her actions. But once the nation has gained its independence, she continued to work within the world of politics. She yeah, was, she was actually the first minister of labor. Now manpower under the Indonesian prime minister, Amir Sharifuddin. And she was the minister at this time from 1947 until 1948. And she was a part of the Partai Buruh Indonesia, the Indonesian Labour Party. And she also founded Gerwis, an Indonesian organization for women, uh, which then changed name to Gerwani. Um, but she was eventually ousted from Gerwani because of the um, figures in the PKI or the Indonesian Communist Party did not like her. And the splintering of ideological uh, positions within the party. Yeah. And she decided to go back to school and pursue an economics degree from the University of Indonesia, refusing to become a minister again. She was actually invited to come back to the government as the Minister of Social Affairs, but she valued her degree more. And I think she was not exactly interested in becoming a minister under Suharto. And in the 1980s, she um, signed a petition, the petition of 50, decrying Suharto's use of Pancasila and his increasingly militaristic dictatorship. Yes, so she's always been one who's fighting for the greater good of the people. people. In fact, a lot of people have called her the journalist of three generations because she started her work as a journalist during the time of the colonialists, during the time of independence, and during the time of the New Order. And she lived to the ripe old age of 96. Oh, wow. Wow, and she died uh, less than 10 years ago on May 20th, 2008, uh, with an amazing legacy that I wish more of us knew. I wish I wasn't, I wish I wasn't coming from this, from the ignorant male perspective who is who just doesn't know about history and his own nation's heroes. I mean, and, and she was very, one of the things that she fought for is she was against polygamy. Kartini was actually, as we noted before, the main wife of, of a man who already had several wives, and Trimurti fought against the culture of polygamy, which is, by the way, still legal in Indonesia. Yes, um, even though civil servants and officers in the military are not allowed to practice polygamy, mm-hmm. everyone else can uh, because it's yeah. uh, legal within the Islamic faith. Yeah, I had uh, drivers who had two wives. It was a thing, but it was cause of drama. Oh, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's always a cause of drama. And actually, Trimurti herself, uh, unfortunately, fell hands to, oh my goodness, the Sayuti Malik. <sighs> After twenty Such years, after twenty years of marriage, just came up to Trimurti and said, "So I like this other girl. Can I have another wife?" And she was like, "Literally, you have been married to me for like twenty years. You, you know, know how anti-polygamy. Alicia, just let's get a divorce." And he was like, "Okay." And so they got divorced. Yeah. But apparently, the wife kept sending her cakes, and they had a fairly decent relationship. It was civil, but civil I think relationship. I think that's where you gotta admire Trimurti. Yeah, I mean, she has always been my way or the highway kind of person, and I really admire her for that because I think as a woman, you you grow up really wanting to be more like a people pleaser, and you don't want to cause strife. Like I don't know. At least I'm also a fairly non-confrontational person in general mm-hmm. so i feel like very uncomfortable making my family or parents or people who i'm close to upset and so i really admire women like Murti who's just like nope i'm gonna do it my way 
whereas I feel like I identify more strongly with Katini because she does she is so aware of her own social conditioning and so and her own barriers and I feel like that's also really true and powerful so I think part of the beauty of this conversation we're having about both Kartini and Eskatrimurti. There's different models of being for women. You can learn from both models. And yeah. it's not like we're trying to tell you be more like Kartini or be more like Trimurti. Find your own brand Balance of feminism. And happy place. I also want to read an excerpt from her book, Wartawan Wanita Berkisah. A woman reporter tells a story. In it, she says, There's another temptation that is hard for women to resist. I am a woman. And for a girl at the time, it's very difficult for me to come here and there enduring such difficult circumstances. Initially, I did not have any interest in being married. And in creating a family, I would have to reduce my concentration in my nationalist movement. I need to be able to stand on my own. And I want to be able to be like a priest who never marries so they can concentrate their entire lives on this cause. Um, I think there's something also valuable in saying that, you know, in a way, Kartini didn't achieve as much as Eska Trimurti or other Indonesian women, right? She only lived until 25. Um, she lived within her own personal yeah, baggage. Yeah, but she lived in her own baggage. At the same time, it's also telling women it's not necessarily what you've achieved in the grand scheme of things, but your thoughts and how you can push your own sense of boundaries and self because otherwise i think we would just celebrate how much people have fought and survived right mm-hmm. this way if we celebrate Day in a very reclaimed thoughtful way it can actually be a very useful impetus for us to think about what are the existing structures in our lives and our society that is still holding back women today i think it's really ironic that Kartini day her day has been reduced to such frivolous exactly the opposite, opposite of, of what, what she wants yeah so a lot of what Kartini day and what bothers me about Kartini day today and why we decided to do this Kartini special is because Kartini day has been kind of a parody of itself you know it's been diluted to the point you no longer remember who Kartini is or her legacy it's all just about wearing batik kebaya looking pretty and just accepting that you know this idea of femininity wearing batik and all this stuff i think for me it almost feels like when the way we celebrate kartini day today and i'm coming from this from a male perspective right Mm -hmm. it's a very passive kind of celebration Mm -hmm. let's let's just celebrate the fact that things have happened kartini herself the namesake of this holiday as well as somebody like she hated all this frivolous stuff they were active you know, their minds were active, their thoughts were active, yeah. their they voices wrote, thought, were active. You know, you know the, the, they were all about empowering women, whether it's within the personal sphere or the political sphere. But it's about being active in the situation that you're in. Someone like Kartini, she was always consistently trying to push that barrier, trying to get freedoms for her younger sister, trying to... You always have to try pushing your boundaries, whether it's physical, like Askartimuti or like Kartini, which is about your own mind space, right? This yeah. idea of progress being something we still need to work towards and in that way i think kartini day can be very useful and very important i think if anything if kartini was alive today she'd say this is kind of an insult to yes to, this is not what i said <laughs> this is what i for. want to say um there was another letter of hers that one of the first few letters and she she said that i really really want to know the modern girl i really want to know the indonesian girl in the future who will be free and who will be able to say what she wants and do what she wants.
And that's our episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. Um, quick shout out to the sources that we went through in order to produce this episode. A lot of what we said about Cartini was from, a lot of the material was taken from Barbara Solaren's work on Cartini, as well as Cartini's own book, Habis Gelap Terbitlah Terang. And with um, the material around Eskatrimurti, we have to give a special shout out to the biography written by Ipong Jazima called Eskatrimurti, Pejuang Perempuan Indonesia. It's available in Toko Gunung Agung and Gramedia, so you should definitely go buy it and check it out yourself because there's a lot of other material we didn't cover in there. Special credits as well, as usual, to the music we've used in this episode, Ryan Little, Jazzard, and Broke for Free. Please visit our website at dialogica.id for more information. We'll put on the links and resources. And like our Facebook and Instagram. Yes, and we'll the- be back in two weeks. See you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>